I'm Kevin Price. You're listening to the nationally syndicated Price of Business program. Marianne Fairmouth, she's a regular on the Price of Business Media Network, and we love having her on the program each week, bringing her insight, particularly from her book that uh, I consider revolutionary when it comes to recruiting. You can learn more about Marianne over at Fairmouth, that's F-A-R-E-M-O-U-T-H dot com. When those words and actions match, when you are who you say you are, individually or collectively, you're now three times more likely to have people be honest with you. There are opportunities for our work and careers everywhere, if you know where to look. That's easier said than done, especially in our fast-paced and constantly changing world. Marianne Fairmouth is talking to experts, employers, and job seekers to bring you insight and understanding about what's possible. This is Career Can Do, where we're navigating the new work world. Welcome to the Career Can Do podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate the new work world. My name is Marianne Fairmouth. I'm an executive recruiter, multi-genre author, corporate trainer, and speaker. And today I'm just delighted to have a guest on my show that's really making a difference in the new work world. Ron Carucci is a best-selling author of eight books, a popular contributor to Harvard Business Review and Forbes, and has worked in more than 25 countries and four continents. His newest book and passion, to be honest, Lead with the Power of Truth, Justice, and Purpose, is based on 15 years of research with more than 3,000 interviews with leaders around the world. So after that incredibly long introduction, and without further ado, help me welcome Ron Carucci. Ron, say hello to everybody. Hey, Marianne, how are you? Thanks for having me. Nice to be with you. Well, we're thrilled to have you here. And, you know, as we were talking in the Blue Room, your subject matter is so paramount importance these days, not only in the work world, but in the world at large. So tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write this book and on the subject matter that you did? Well, I think we don't have to look very far, do we, Marianne, to see that we're in a trust recession, that the world is making it much harder to earn and keep the trust of others, and that just simply saying, I'm a good person, doesn't make you trustworthy. We started out with the research. It wasn't intended to be a book. We did use this really cool artificial intelligence technology to analyze these thousands of interviews from over 15 years to see if we could quantify and predict under what conditions would people tell the truth and behave fairly and decently and serve a greater good? And under what conditions would otherwise good people lie, cheat, and serve their own interests first? And how do we get those people? How does that happen? And if we could predict those conditions, could we prevent them? And could we proliferate the conditions under which people will do the right thing? And we indeed found that we could. The statistical models that came back out of the research were really compelling. That's what made me think, well, I, I want to share this research. I want to share it broadly. I didn't want to share more stories of villains. I think we're all a little bit tired of hearing about Wells Fargo and Theranos and you know Volkswagen. I wanted to tell the stories of the heroes. I wanted to tell the stories of the people who we'd be proud to emulate, who we would want as our bosses, the companies we'd love to work for, who are the exemplars of the findings we found in a study. And so that made the book a thrill to be able to curate that many stories and to find that they're, they're out there. There are people out there doing this well. Yes, 69 million people just quit their jobs in the last six months because mm-hmm. they're tired of toxic bosses and 
horrible companies, but they're not all that way. And it was really encouraging to find that there are people out there we can follow and work for and be proud to do so. I think this is wonderful. And I think it's refreshing to have this segment on Career Can Do. And, you know, and looking at all your wonderful background, all the things you've done, you talk about how the book, To Be Honest, explains four factors, clear identity, accountability, governance, and cross-functional relationships. Tell us a little bit about those four tips. Well, I think the interesting thing about them, Marianne, is that they're hiding in plain sight. So all of us, our organizations have mission statements or purpose statements or value statements that we claim to live by. But it turns out that if there's a say-do gap, meaning the things you say don't mirror the things you do, you're now three times more likely to have people be dishonest because you've told people it's okay to be duplicitous. You said, around here, we say one thing and do another. When those words and actions match, when you are who you say you are, individually or collectively, you're now three times more likely to have people be honest with you. Our accountability systems were geared in the 80s and 90s to measure repeatable work. But today, the remit of a human being is as personal as they are. Today, what I owe you is my analysis, my creativity, my ideas, my deep thinking, my points of view. My contribution is a reflection of me as the contributor. And when a leader doesn't treat that with dignity and fairness, meaning that I have as much of a chance of being successful around here as anybody else, no matter what I look like or where I come from, When those things aren't true, you're now four times more likely to have people be dishonest because now I have to embellish my accomplishments and I have to hide my mistakes. But if I'm treated fairly, if I feel like you honor my work, even when you have to tell me how to improve, because I want to improve and you help me improve and I can be successful, my voice is valued. Now you're four times more likely to have me tell you the truth and be honest with you and treat others the same way. Our decision-making systems, you walk into a room of people in a company, often referred to as a meeting. And if I walk into that room and what's happening in that room is an honest exchange of ideas, welcomed opinions that are different from one another, the person in the front of the room who's presenting whatever they're presenting is not spinning it in some way to make me think a certain thing or agree with them. It's a balanced and fair look at the data or the information or the problem. And I am confident that if I wanted to offer a point of view that was different than the one prevailing in the room, I'd be welcome to do that. You're now three and a half times more likely to have be, be, be honest with you because now you've, you've told me what transparency really means around here. But if I walk into that room and it's nothing more than orchestrated theater where the people in the room are nodding their heads, whether they agree or not, the person in the front of the room clearly has an agenda. They're presenting one view of their point of their data or of their problem. And the last thing I think you want to hear from me is a point of view that's different than yours. Now you're three and a half times more likely to have me be dishonest because the only way to get the truth is to go out of the room and go underground and get it. And lastly, our relationships across the organization, our cross-functional partners. We all have seen silos. We've all seen fragmented organizations. We all know what it's like to have we's and they's. Turns out they're more destructive than we thought. At the seams of the organization where real value gets created, you know, sales and marketing, supply chain and operations, finance and innovation, HR and everybody. When those seams are stitched well, when the conflicts that arise there, when the differences that are there can be held well, when we can make a we out of a they and a a me, you're six times more likely to have people be dishonest because now we've unified the organization into a single story, which means finding a single source of truth can be done. But if those border wars are not rectified, if it's all about we and they, now you're six times more likely to have people be dishonest because when you fragment the organization, you fragment the truth. And when we have dueling truths, I am not interested in a single source of truth. I'm only interested in one thing, making sure you know that my truth is right and yours is wrong. And when that happens, now you're six times more likely to have people be dishonest. 
The painful part about the models, Marianne, is that they're cumulative. So if you're good at all four of those things, reasonably effective, you are creating an environment where people are 16 times more likely to tell you the truth, behave fairly, and serve a greater good. Mm -hmm. Truth, justice, and purpose. Let me ask you a question. When you go into these companies, Ron, when you go into these Fortune 500 companies, and they say, for example, you know, we have had so much turnover in here. We just have had so much turnover. And you're standing there talking to a CEO who is a baby boomer. And he's telling you, we have got a good company. We have got a good product. How do you carefully, respectfully explain to him that the common denominator of everything, in my opinion, or of, of a lot of things, is respect? How do you explain to him that our new generations maybe are seeing things differently? I mean, is that any is that part of the conversation you have with someone like that? Or sure. how do you approach someone like that that's maybe thinking in a one-dimensional way? I will listen to where they're in pain. If they don't feel the pain of a revolving door, that all their great talent has quit and left, and all their mediocre talent quit and stayed, if they don't feel that pain, then I'm going to talk about what they are in pain over. Surely there's going to be performance pain. Their customers are defecting, or products are shipping with low quality, or they're missing orders. I'm going to find the pain. I'm going to ask you, well, what's your diagnosis? What is it that you feels behind the problem, and why haven't you fixed it? Because at some point, I'm going to walk them off their own ledge, and I'm going to get to the bottom of what assumptions they're making about the situation that are misguided. Because somewhere, there's an assumption that they're not testing. Our diagnostic process is fairly forensic. We bring very comprehensive data sets to people. And it's all the voices of your organization that you've not listened to. We do really, really comprehensive interviews. And we bring back in the room 70, 80, 90 pages of a story of everything we heard. And if we force leaders to listen to what, what their organization is saying, how their organization is making sense of what's happening there. Whether it's true or not is irrelevant. It's true to them. And it's the truth that they're acting upon. It's the reason they're leaving and quitting. It's the reason they're quitting and staying. Mm -hmm. It's the reason they're not performing the way they want. It's the reason your leaders are fighting with each other. It's the reason your executive team is sitting here nodding, telling you what you want to hear, but outside the room saying something very different. So if you're satisfied with that level of performance, then we're fine. But if you're not, then there are ways to solve that. And what I read about your bio, you've worked with some pretty high-end companies, some pretty global companies that have a number of employees. So your target market, make sure I'm understanding it correctly, would be Fortune 500 companies that are you know, trying to, to, maybe they're in transition, maybe they're trying to expand their platform, but they're in some kind of, of a situation that needs to improve. Is that correct? Yeah. And what I would also say, we also work with Fortune 1000 companies too. We work with mid-caps as well. And we have occasionally done work with startups, entrepreneurs who are starting to scale their ventures. Do you think, and I know this is a touchy question to ask you, I'll ask it as carefully as I can. Do you think the generational differences we see among the millennials and generation Xers and baby boomers, do you think all of those theories or all those ideas are a factor in all of this or not? I don't. Going back 10 years ago, I did a, a long research study, wrote a book as the millennials were coming into being about the divided generational differences. I think we have made the year you're born far more of a defining factor than it actually is. It was an article that I read when I was doing that research that started off with lazy, don't want to work hard, feedback averse, entitled. And I said, this sounds like millennials, doesn't it? It was, a, it was from a 1969 Life Magazine article about the boomers. <laughs> so really? the question, yeah. So the question isn't, which are you? It's which are you when? Because the reality is, if you look at all the 
empirical research, regardless of what year you were born in, we all want the same things. We want a time with our family. We want meaningful work. We want to, we all show up at work every day with two questions. Do I matter? And do I belong? And the problem with the generational differences is that we're not seeing the conflict for what it really is. It has nothing to do with the year you were born. It has to do with legacy and potential. It has to do with my legacy. I want, I don't want to be obsolete. I want to be relevant. And I see your potential as a threat to that. You see my legacy as a threat to your potential, both of which are misguided. Outside my legacy, your potential means nothing because I'm the one that's going to help you realize it. And outside your potential, you have no legacy. So the relationship across generations is very important. The year you were born is irrelevant. I think we make far too much out of it than we think we do. What the research shows is that the Xers, as much time with their families as the millennials and the Gen Zers do, they just want it in different ways. But the needs are no less different. It's not that people want to work less hard. It's that we've modeled for them, we've modeled for so long, a workaholic environment that's unhealthy, that in a technological and digital enabled world, it's not sustainable. Our brains are not created to absorb the level of speed and information with which a digital world can deliver it. And so the notion of multitasking, the notion of 24-7 Zoom meetings, our brains are literally not created to tolerate that. It's not a factor of what when I was born, it's a factor of being human. Now, this book came out, to be honest, in May of 2021. Do you think the last couple of years during the pandemic, this really heard that to you that a book like this was even more important to put out in the world because of what was going on? I did the research starting back in 2018 before the pandemic. And so by the time I started writing the book, the pandemic was just starting. And so I do write about the pandemic in the book and about what was being seen at the time. I don't know that we could have predicted that two years later, we would have fragmented the world, fractured the society politically, socially, racially. So all the more reason why we, we have to work harder and do better to make sure that we don't continue to pull apart where we are. Well, I think this book is the book that really everybody needs to read. And, and I certainly, as soon as I finish taping this, I'm going to order it. <laughs> But if somebody wants to get this book, Ron, can they get it on Amazon? Or do you have a website? How do they How do they get it? Um, Amazon is still a great place to get it. But if you want to learn more about the book, you can come to tobehonest.net. One of the things that was really fun about the book was I got to interview these amazing heroes. And we videoed all those interviews. And I knew I wouldn't be able to use all the material. So we created a TV show. We created a news magazine show called Moments of Truth. And there are 15 episodes all at the website, tobehonest.net. You can binge watch all of them. And meet the behind-the-scenes look at all these incredible heroes, Uber Jolie from Best Buy and Tiffany Jana and Vincent Stanley from Patagonia and Rob Balot, the hero in the DuPont story that Mark Ruffalo plays him in a film. Just incredible people. I've got some wonderful co-hosts who interview their own guests. So they're 30-minute episodes, and, it, and you can really get to hear and see why I was so inspired by the book. There's also a great webinar at that website and a bunch of articles about the book as well. So it's a treasure trove of ways to learn more about it, and you can order it there. And the other thing I think is so wonderful and cool about what you do is that you've, you've worked in more than 25 countries and four continents. Would you say, yes, you know, they're different countries, they're different cultures, they're different people and all, but at the end of the day, I think we all want to feel valued. We all want to feel respected. We all want to feel, I think even more so now, that we have something valuable to say. Don't you think that's kind of a prevailing theme from all Absolutely. the research you've done? Absolutely. Like I said, we all show up every day with two questions. Do I matter and do I belong? And your job as a leader is to simply make sure everybody knows that the answer to those questions is yes. 
Because when people doubt that the answer to those questions is yes, they spend more time going after the counterfeits, looking like I matter and looking like I belong. And they wreak all kinds of havoc doing that. And all that energy could be put into actually doing their jobs and enjoying it. But your job is to create the environment where they show up and they, and they never wonder what the answer to those question is. And if somebody hires you, Ron, like say a president of a, of a Fortune 1000 company, they hire you. How long does your process usually take to work with them to try to get them turned around a little bit? I have one client that I've had for 12 years. I've had one client that I have for seven, eight years. It depends on what we're working on. And companies evolve. So as they change and grow, there's other things we can help them with. You know, our diagnostic methodologies is, like I said before, pretty intense. That's usually about three or four months to get to a place where we can agree on what actions to take. If we're going to redesign the organization, or if we're going to help cultivate better leaders, if I'm going to work on your behavior as an executive and help you strengthen how you lead, it depends what we're going to work on. Well, I think this book couldn't have come out at a better time. To be honest, lead with the power of truth, justice, and purpose. Isn't that what we're all questioning? Everything we see on social media, everything we oh, see true. on the 10 o'clock news. And I think, you know, everything is, is interrelated and it's certainly a big factor in the new work world. So we're nearing the end here of our podcast. If we had to leave our listeners with two really important points to help them, let's talk about two sides. Let's talk about two points for the leaders of our corporations and also maybe two points for our our employees, what would those be? Well, I think that one of them would be for everybody, which was this. You can't be more true to yourself till you're more true about yourself. All of us can be better at being honest. Honesty is a muscle. It's not a character trait. It's not a moral principle. It's a capability. You have to be good at it. And you can't get better at it, which will earn you more trust until you're more honest about your dishonesty. The University of Massachusetts study says that we all lie on average twice a day. Could be more, could be less. But I would ask you to examine your calendar over the last 10 days. And look at the places in the privacy of your own heart. Look at the places where you were less than true to yourself, where you belied your values, where you were you embellished a slide to your boss. You withheld feedback that was critical from a direct report because you didn't want to deal with the conflict. You were curt to the barista at Starbucks. You were dismissive to your kids. You didn't give them attention. You weren't kind to your spouse. What I would tell you is if you examine just 10 moments like that over the last week or so, you'll see a pattern. The moments that bring us to our dishonesty are not random. We choose those behaviors because we think they're serving a purpose. They're serving a need. When you're impatient, when you're curt, when you embellish, when you withhold, examine the pattern. See the kinds of people or conditions or circumstances that bring out the worst version of you where you're less than true to your values and see if you can't figure out what it is that's bringing you there and change that narrative because that's how you get better at honesty. So that's one we should all be doing. The second thing I would say is, is to ask yourself, do you know that you matter? And do you know that you belong? And if you doubt those things, or if you're as a leader, not creating the conditions under which people can be confident in those things, what are people doing as counterfeits? What are you doing to make sure people know you matter or know you belong? And how might that be hurting whether or not people trust you? That's paramount. I think what you're saying is so true. And it reminds me, Ron, of a trip I took to Greece, to Athens, Greece, and I went to the, um, to the museum there and saw a lot of things, but also in Athens, in Greece, I went to the Temple of Delphi, which is a very famous place. And the inscription in Greek, in Greek, the Temple of Delphi is know thyself. Mm -hmm. And I think it all belongs there. We have to be honest with ourselves before we can really make a contribution to the outer world. And I think we do have to know thyself. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we have been delighted to have you on Career Can Do. 
I think your message is one that is so needed and so necessary in the new work world and, and in the world at large. So again, tell our listeners out there how they can get a hold of you and your website again, please. Yeah, you can come visit it. My firm is at Navalent, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T.com. Come visit us there. We've got a treasure trove of videos and some free eBooks you can download on leadership and teams and the virtual workplace. We've got a series of videos. We've got a bunch of articles and white papers. So there's a, a ton of stuff you can download to help yourself become better leaders and teams. Follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter, please, and stay in touch. All right, Ron. Well, we have just been thrilled to have you on Career Can Do, and we'll keep in touch. Thank you all for listening to our program today. I hope that you enjoyed the program. I know I've learned a lot, and I'm so thrilled to have someone of this caliber on Career Can Do. So we'll see you all next time. Again, my name is Marianne Fairmouth, and this is Career Can Do. Bye-bye. Thank you, Ron. We thank you for tuning in to our Career Can Do podcast. We make no guarantees on results for your particular quest, but we hope you enjoy the information presented. Thank you.